0: Hi, this is Gary Meese with the case against. I thought I was going to be talking about the Miscelli, uh Jesse Miscelli's alibi concerning the wrestling trip to Dias, Arkansas, which is very, which is really quite long. It's a little bit complicated because there's so many people involved. And the bottom line is is that the great doubt was cast upon the idea that this trip ever occurred in court, thanks to documentation. Uh, It's somewhat irrelevant anyway, since Miskelly actually could have gone on the wrestling trip after participating in the murders. So it's really not a grand alibi. His earlier alibi with the police officers, his earlier tipped alibi with the police officers, if the police officer had said they'd seen Miskelly at the trailer park at 6.45 that evening, that would be a pretty good alibi. Uh, But they said they didn't see him, so it's essentially worthless as an alibi, at least as far as the jury was concerned, particularly considering the many contradictions of Miskelly's alibi witnesses what i am going to talk about today is something i've this is a bit of a repeat i've gone over this before but i'm going to do it again because bob ruff is uh harping on uh terry hobbs and david jacoby and apparently he's going to have david jacoby on uh and recorded interviews over the next two weeks, which means we're going to be treated to four hours of David, David Jacoby. I'll be interested in seeing what Jacoby has to say, but frankly, the guy's pretty damn squirrely to begin with. I'm not trying to be offensive, but he just is. And it's also been, and he's got rough manipulating his. Narrative, which it's anybody who's watching watched what actually happened on the uh, Oxygen Network show can see. Uh, Ruff, he's the one who's setting the times, not Jacoby. Um, and he's he's going to be inconsistent and all over the place on on things. I have a feeling he certainly was in the. In the uh, accounts that I'm going to describe today and I'm gonna make the point now and I'll make the point later that when you interview somebody about a very stressful event that occurred 14 years earlier uh, you're not going to get the greatest uh, organization of facts Uh, particularly I think Jacoby, in one case uh, gave an interview over the phone while he was at work Uh, you know here's a 10-minute break go talk about what you were doing on on, uh, May 5th 1993 and here it is 2007 so uh, or 2008 whenever that was anyway uh, the, the point being is is you know it's it's not the best way to conduct an interview and Jacoby is not the greatest source of information. I think that should be obvious to anybody who watched the interview. I think it's going to be more obvious when Ruff runs two hours of, of the guy. I'm not putting him down. I think he's, I think he's a, a good guy from anything I know about him, which isn't that much. But I have no reason to think that he's ever done anything wrong. I'm With Ruff on this, I don't think he had anything to do with the crime. But he writes him off on the same sort of... Uh, there's very slim evidence that... Very, 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 very slim evidence that Jacoby had anything to do with this, though they did manage to smear him in west of Memphis. They also managed to smear Terry Hobbs on on evidence that's also ex- exceedingly weak, to say the least. And there's a lot of hypocrisy going on here, Whenever we're talking about, well, I'm going to write this this guy off, even though he's, I mean, Ruff even says he seems to say he's, he didn't say squirrely, but he might as well have. He was very nervous. And it was hard to, hard to get him settled down. Um, to the point that they had technical problems, even getting a, a usable interview from the guy. Um... But for for just purely arbitrary reasons, he's going to give him a pass, but he's not going to give Terry Hobbs a pass. Okay, be that way. I, you know, <laughs> If you believe, if you believe that the only answer to this to this case that's going to satisfy everybody forever and ever are the DNA test that you're trying to get from. Ellington that, that are never going to happen. So uh, this whole so-called season is going to be an exercise in futility. But if that's the only thing you've got is a DNA test that's never going to happen, you really have nothing. And you're not only that, you have a nothing that is old hat. There's no new original investigation going on here at all. It's the same, I mean, the idea that there's this ar- uh, army of uh, Justice warriors out there investigating this case and coming up with new facts is patently ridiculous. It's just, it's not happening. It's not going to happen. I don't know that it's happened in his other cases because I don't follow him. I have no reason to listen to him other than the West Memphis Three. I'm aware that he has a history of being, coming up with off-the-wall conclusions about things, But uh, I could have told you that just from listening to the way he's handled this particular case. Um, Anyway, I'm going to get This is going to be a fairly long episode here if I get all the way through it. And I may have to break it up. Excuse me, I'm getting some sort of cramp in my back. It's not a good thing. Uh, it comes from sitting around for you know six weeks, <laughs> sitting around for six weeks waiting for the virus to go away. I've actually gotten out and I hope you're doing the same as if you can, as getting out and getting some exercise and doing some things. I have done that. I haven't just sat around But um, in my book, Blood on Black, which is the first volume of two-volume set, the other volume being Where the Monsters Go, I get into the alibis of Terry Hobbs and John Mark Byers and explicitly explain how Byers is got a really good alibi not that he really needs one but if he needed one he's got a pretty he's got a very good one Um, Hobbs is not quite in that position and I'll make I'll make that clear again uh, as we go along but he has an alibi and it's a pretty good alibi it's just not it's not as corroborated to the level of John Mark Byer's Uh, nobody was particularly keeping you know he was searching by himself he wasn't searching with his wife which would have been the case if she hadn't been at work and uh, he was searching essentially by himself or with Jacoby and Jacoby gives some inconsistent details in his stories Hobbes gives inconsistent details in his story And if you want to write the whole thing off as well, they have so many inconsistent details that I I can't believe anything they say. Well, that's your privilege. I don't take that position. I take a more reasoned position that they're simply recalling as best they can what happened from uh, many years before. And uh, concerning Terry Hobbs, John Mark Byers had said he'd seen... Hobbs, over at the Moore House. More, uh, actually, I, th- I think they were at the buyer's house. Ha- I mean, the buyer's house, which is across the street from the Moore House. But he'd seen him around eight or eight thirty that evening, and he saw him again at one one thirty in the morning with the Jacoby, as well as the first light of day. Dana Moore, Michael Moore's mother. and let me mention again. This is the the. Murders were of Michael Moore, Christopher Byers, Stevie Branch. Nobody's ever forgotten. I haven't forgotten them. People who follow the case haven't forgotten them. Uh, It's what went on with them is hard to forget. Some days I would not like would. I find it difficult to think about. But I do think about this case every day. And I think about those boys every day. So many, many people have not forgotten the West, Mi- the real West Memphis Three, which are those three little boys. Anyway, Dana, Dana Moore was Michael Moore's mother, and she told uh, John Mark Byers that Hobbs had been searching around since 4:30 or 5, which corroborates Hobbs' statements about early contact with Dana. Uh, and Byers also describe Hobbs continuing his search after their encounter around 8.30 that evening. Uh, and in courtroom testimony, Melissa Byers named Hobbs as a searcher. So she was aware of it. There was no focus on Terry Hobbs. He, in many sense, he was kind of an invisible man. There were other other actors in this Um, play that are even more invisible like Steve Branch Sr. uh, which Ruff seems to know almost nothing about except that he exists Uh, but Steve Branch was also involved in the search and he didn't live that far away I think he lived up in Osceola County at the time Uh, he's been living in he's lived in Earl since then I'm not sure where he's living now Earl Arkansas is in Crittenden County, uh, which is where the crime occurred. Uh, anyway, Melissa Byers also named Hobbs as a searcher. They didn't try; they weren't asking about specific times, but indicates that he was on the scene. And he was actively searching uh, when Stevie Branch didn't come home at 4:30, as his, his mother had told him to. Uh, Pam Hobbs, Terry's wife, uh, and Terry made a quick search by car, starting around 4:50, before Terry dropped Pam off at work at Catfish Island. Uh, when Terry arrived to pick up Pam around, I've got here 9:25. It was earlier than that. He told her Stevie was still missing the police were called. Terry told her that the three boys were together. I think the 9:25 thing is one one of the times that Terry had put out there and it the actual time is something like 9:13, something like that. Terry told her that the three boys were together and that Mark and Dana had called the police. So it, it's not as if Hobbs was under the impression that his son was not officially, that his son was not, that the police were not aware that his son was missing and it was just some sort of cavalier cavalier disregard for uh, the boy's safety and well being. The, the fact is, is he knew all three, they realized all three boys were together around 8 o'clock that evening, 8, 8 10, 8 15. Somewhere around there, when Re- Regina Regina Meeks showed up, and they, um, and so when Hobbs Terry Hobbs makes his phone call, he's making an official report of Stevie being missing. But it's not as if the police hadn't already be alert been alerted to that in fact. Um, Officer Johnny Moore showed up at Catfish Island to take statements. And then Terry and Pam began patrolling the neighborhood with an emphasis on Robin Hood Hills. Along with uh, Amanda. They rode around, Amanda the, the little the little daughter, uh, until Terry dropped Amanda and Pam off at home. And then he joined... Uh, David Jacoby and Jackie Hicks Sr., who was Stevie's grandfather on his maternal side on a search until late that night. Between 5 when Terry dropped off Pam and 8 when Terry showed up at the buyer's home and maybe it was 8.15, uh, Bob said he searched for Stevie, not interviewed formally by police until June 21st, 2007. So that's 14 years later. Hobbs gave a voluntary statement to Lieutenant Ken Mitchell and Detective Chuck Knowles of the West Memphis Police Department about that evening from 14 years before. <coughs> <coughs> now in that interview, Hobbs said his typical workday involved running a ice cream sales route over a broad territory and that the day usually began about 5.30 a.m. He got home around, usually got home around 3 or 3.30. And that was the case that day and found Pam and Amanda home, but not Stevie. Michael had left with, I mean, Stevie had left with Michael, who'd been over at their house. All three boys were over at the Hobbs' house that afternoon. Um, And Hobbs probably got home later than that Indica- uh, Pam describes him getting home later, and uh, they wouldn't have had a lot of time to get home from school, uh, make these arrangements to, um, to go out and play by th- if he got home at 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon. There's not really a, a time window there that really allows for that, unless it was a very quick interaction. And we know that Christopher Byers showed up at uh, Stevie's house after Michael and Stevie had left on their bicycles and watched Muppet Babies for a while with little Amanda. Um, Hobbs did recall walking out along the driveway to see if he could spot the boys anywhere. Uh... Eventually, Hobbs drove Pam to work with Amanda in the car. They checked at the Moore home to see if anybody there had any idea about where the boys were. He was told they were riding bicycles. Terry and Amanda rode around from street to street for probably 30 minutes, according to Terry, maybe an hour. But he was uncertain about the times. They went home and walked around the neighborhood, hoping to hear the boys in the distance Soon, Dana drove up and asked if Michael was at the Hobbs' home. She drove home. Terry followed her. Dana told them she had seen the boys go by on their bicycles. Now, he's not, be, he's not as I say, he was uncertain about times. Uh, if they got home. They checked at the Moore home, drop Pam off at work at 5, check at the Moore home. What is that, another 10 or – I mean, we're already pushing toward 5.30 with just those two things. Uh, Then they go home and walk around the neighborhood 10 minutes, 5.40. And then Dana drove up and asked if Michael was at the Hobbs house. And she drove home, and Terry followed her. You know the timing on this is a little funny because Dana dro- Dana drove up, and Terry followed her. This is what he recalls. I think he would remember Dana dropping by, but the time there's a, a there is a huge gap in time between the this encounter that he's going to have with John Mark Byers here, as I'm getting right to it, and the following Dana back to the house and uh, uh, walking around the neighborhood. Vaughn told them she had seen the boys go by on their bicycles, at the Moore home, Hobbs encountered a big bully-looking dude, Mark Byers, for the first time. That's when they figured out that Christopher, Stevie, and Michael were together, and this was sometime after, after eight. Hobbs discussed calling the police and assumed Dana would make the call. Hobbs said he drove around with Amanda before dropping her off with the Jacobys, and David Jacoby agreed to help in the search. Okay, so that would have Hobbs getting Jacoby on board after, say, eight thirty in the evening or so, because if 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 indeed um, Hobbes and buyers first met each other some a little, sometime between 8 and eight thirty on that evening now that's really not a very good account let's say it has has some really significant problems uh and he's given other versions of this that uh and deposition uh with the, the natalie Mains thing that creates even more, there's more discrepancies there, but I'm not going to get into that right now. On June 21st, 2007, Jacoby gave his first full interview to police, and it varied in details from Hobbs. Jacoby, this is the June 21st version, Jacoby said Hobbs came over to his house with Amanda around 5.30 or 6 p.m. on May 5th. They played guitars together. Quote, I'd say at least an hour. Now, if if you played, if you came over at five thirty and left it an hour later, it would be six thirty. Okay, and it may have been later than that. So maybe it was closer to seven. Who knows? For sure, nobody knows for sure at this point. But they played the guitars together for a while, according to Jacoby. And then Hobbs left to look for Stevie. Jacoby could not remember if Amanda stayed or left with her dad. Jacoby saw Terry, quote, a couple more times that night. Uh, At one point that night when he come back, uh, I think I went with him to look for the kid, uh... We rode down the road towards, I think, that's Barton Street, going out towards those apartments where, that, what's that place? There's Robin Hood Apartment, whatever they call it. I just, I can't, I'm just not really sure what I mean is, uh, I know at one point, one time me and him did go look then, his wife had come by and she was hysterical. We wound up walking through these woods with her dad and some people was out that neighborhood. Uh, I was out until like 3 o'clock that morning with them. Uh, not all every, not together, everybody was kind of branching off. As you can see, The I didn't read that as well as I should have, but it was a very disjointed sort of statement. He said it was getting dark when he began looking. Quote, really close to dark. Well, yeah, it was because... When I first went out there, uh, we wasn't out there long, and I told him I had some flashlights, and I was thinking Terry brought me back home to get some flashlights, and we went back looking. Man, it's just so hard to remember how it went down. Now, I'm not saying that anything else he said wasn't true. I think he's true as far as he remembers, but the truest thing he says is, man, it's just so hard to remember how it went down. Jacoby remembered going into the woods, seeing footprints, bicycle tire prints in the ditch, and muddy fr- footprints along the pipe. He remembered Byers, Hobbs, Jackie Hicks Sr., and others calling the boys by name. A police officer was part of the search. And th- all that had to have been later, because Jackie Hicks didn't come down till quite a bit later. I mean, he came down... <laughs> I think they must have driven 100 miles an hour to get there based on the timeline, but they didn't really know how desperate the situation was until, you know, um, pretty late. I mean, I think they found out about 9, you know, 9.30 and they were there practically by 10 from Blytheville, so. At 10.30, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it didn't take them long, and it's a fairly, it's not a quick trip. Asked about Hobbs' demeanor, Jacoby stated, I just think of Terry as normal, low-keyed, you know, every time I've seen him. And best I can remember that night, you know, uh, that he came over. He was fine, you know, I mean, I didn't notice anything unusual. He, just like normal, he'd come in, sit down, you know, and we pick up a guitar, play a little bit before he picked his wife up. Uh, like I said, he got up and left, said he had to go check, see if Steve had made it in, or, man, I really can't remember. Again, man, I really can't remember. But he remembers Hobbs coming in, playing guitar with him, and getting back up and going to look for Stevie. Uh, and there's the... There's no really good times attached to any of this action except very early on. And even that's so vague and contradictory that's not that helpful as far as the specific timeline. But according to Jacoby, Hobbes went as home from around five thirty or six until at least an hour later, which would have been six thirty or seven. Uh, Jacoby did not recall going with Hobbes at that point, only later when it was getting dark. According to that statement, Hobbes' whereabouts had no verified witnesses between 6.30 or 7, and possibly later, to around 8 or 8.30 over at the Moore home. Uh, He would have had an hour, perhaps more, to locate the boys, kill them, bind them, place them in the ditch, and then get cleaned up enough passed muster before Dana Moore and Mark Byers. He may or may not have had his small daughter along with him. Now that's according to the June 21st statement, according to Jacoby. Three days after the June 21st interview, on June 24th, Jacoby gave a a declaration in a defamation lawsuit that Hobbs had filed against Dixie Six. Dixie Chicks singer Natalie Maines that varied from the earlier statement. He stated that, although unsure of the time, he believed Hobbs came over to his house about 5 or 5.30, although it could have been as late as 6. He said he saw Stevie Branch and two other little boys riding bikes, with one on a skateboard, in the street outside his home, but he gave no clear time frame and... People seem to want to make something of this, but the fact is, is the boys were riding around the neighborhood, so, I mean, I'm not really sure what importance that has. Uh, it seems to, seems to be given in the context of Hobbs being at his door, but even then, <laughs> it's by, it It'd be interesting to know, it'd be interesting to see if Ruff pins him down on this, but if, if he saw Hobbes, did he see Hobbes interacting with the children? Was Hobbes aware the boys were, that he'd seen these boys? Did he, in fact, see the boys? It's very, very unclear. And if he did, it's sort of a so what, unless, unless Hobbes specifically says he's looking for the boys and the boys are right there. In which case, why wouldn't Jacoby just simply say, hey, you're looking for Stevie? There he is. So it's, it's all quite confusing. There's a lot of stuff that's confusing in this case, and frankly, I don't try to come up with some cockamamie theory to try to clear it up. I don't, some things I don't know. People say things, and I just sort of follow it away as, okay, they said that. What does it mean? <coughs> it's, it's uncertain. And without better details, it's really hard to know, and they're often not just David Jacoby, but many of these people that they talk to are not able to come up with better stories than the stories they gave. Uh, Jacoby, okay, he got, may have gotten there as late as six. Jacoby, this is in the Natalie Maines um, matter, He's given a deposition. Jacoby said he and Hobbs play guitar for up to one hour, which is open to interpretation. Was it 10 minutes? Was it 55 minutes? We don't know. Could be as late as, could be, uh, we already said he could have come over anywhere from five to six. And now we're gonna say, well, they. Could be could have played guitars for up to an hour. Well, you could be, if you this this time frame is so flexible. He could have been over there five ten, played guitars for what fifteen minutes and left at five thirty. But then uh, he does say that he thought that uh, Hobbs left between six and six thirty. Uh, and Hobbs told him then, so that he does give us, even then it's, <laughs> it's very open time. If you do like Bob Ruff and say, oh well, it's six. So, and then we don't have anybody else reporting him, which is not true, but as we'll see, but nobody else saw him until eight and he had time to do all this. Well, he really didn't. We know the boys didn't even go into the woods till 630 or so it's been very very difficult for Hobbs to find the boys and do all this other stuff we're talking about I'm not saying it's impossible but it be very very difficult to do and to pull this off uh, if indeed between 630 and 8 he was free and nobody would he wasn't having any interactions with somebody, and he actually went out there and killed the boys for some bizarre reason. It, you know, it has it. Uh, I'm not, but I'm not saying that's impossible. However, what's not possible is to reconcile that story with what Jacoby says in this deposition. Uh, Hobbs told Jacoby he was leaving to check if Stevie had gotten home, that Stevie was expected home before dark. Jacoby was 90% sure Amanda remained with his wife and himself. Uh, Jacoby said Hobbs was gone for a while. He doesn't give a specific time. Uh, Terry returned to my house later. He doesn't say when, and asked if Stevie had come by. When I said no, I volunteered to go out with Terry to ride with him to look for Stevie. Uh, Terry and I drove around the neighborhood for approximately 10, 15 minutes looking for Stevie. We drove near some apartments. We did not stop at any houses or talk to anyone at this point. So... Hobbs leaves, what, it's 6.30, it comes back after a while. What's after a while? 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Then they, they spend 10, 15 minutes driving around, and there's some other interaction That's 20 minutes. I mean, this is all very approximate. Could be five minutes. Could be 20 minutes, could be 25 minutes. But you know, if, if they drove around 10 or 15 minutes, they drove around for a while when Terry came back. We can say safely say that based on Jacoby's statement, they grew up, drove around for a while. It wasn't just a trip around the block. They, they went far enough to drive by the apartments. Presumably they were driving around some of those streets uh, the apartments, the Mayfair apartments. They weren't called Robin Hood Hills apartments, but up that way. It takes a while to do that. It takes a while for people to get in the car. It takes a while for them to interact as far as making plans and uh, Hobbs taking Jacoby back home, dropping him off, saying he's gonna go out looking in. Might not take long, but it's gonna take some time. And this is time when he supposedly was out, if you listen to somebody like Ruff, supposed to think he's maybe out there killing some boys um, anyway back to Jacoby Terry then dropped me off at my house and said he was going to check a few other places for Stevie I believe Terry again left alone with Amanda staying at house at my house Now, after a while uh, here we go again after a while Terry came back to my house I again went with Stevie to ride around and look for Stevie We drove two more times, nearly the same route we had driven before. Okay. Two more times, nearly the same route we had driven before. Well, if they drove around for 10 or 15 minutes and the first with Terry the first time, and he comes back after a while, we don't really know how long that is but we know that he may not have left until 6.30. He went out for a while, he came back. He spent 15, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes with Jacoby. He goes out again, comes back. And then he says, we rode around two more times, nearly the same route we had driven before. Well, the same route they had driven before they had driven around for it had taken them 10 or 15 minutes looking for stevie and they didn't talk to anybody so let's presume if you have take it if you have a 10 minute route and you drive it around two two more times, they run around they rode around and then they run around two times more let's just say that he's not being really exact and let's just say they did it twice as long. I mean, I I would interpret that as being three times, but let's let's be (coughs) very conservative with this, with somebody who's not giving exact statements and say, okay, let's cut it down to, this is a 10 minute trip and they did it twice. That's 20 minutes. They talked, and uh, according to Jacoby, they talked to children playing at the apartments, and a little girl told them some boys had been riding bikes in the woods. Okay, so little girl told them they were riding bikes in the woods. So this would be. Um, oh, oh, well, they were. They talked to children playing in the apartment. So talking to children takes up more time. So we're really talking about a twenty-five minute trip in here in this time frame where Hobbs is supposedly off killing these children. Uh, Terry again dropped me off because it was getting dark and I was going to change clothes and get flashlights and to search further. I do not know where Terry went, but I expected him to come back to get me. I believe he took Amanda with him. I changed clothes, but Terry never showed back up. Okay, so it was getting dark, what, about 8, 8.45 that night. We know Terry was at the Hobbs house around, and, and Jacoby says nothing about being at the buyer's house, anything like that. And we know that, my, that, that buyers and the Moors lived across the street from each other, but I... They were at the buyer's house. I said the Morris house earlier, but the buyer's house. And um, that's because that's where the police went. We know he was there between 8 and 8.30. Well, Well, Jacoby says nothing about that at all. So, and there's not time for him to get through with that. He was seen by a police officer. John Moore checked and, and Hobbs was home at 8.30 that evening, around 8.30 that evening, according to Regina Meek, um, testimony in a, one of the post, post-conviction hearings. So we know he was there. So we know two places he was, for sure, based on a num- number of statements, besides Jacoby. And we know Jacoby's not saying anything about meeting with the Moors or having any kind of interaction with the, them at all, which you think he would have. He, I mean, he gave two statements and said nothing about them at all, which means he probably had no interaction with them at that point. So it would seem that it's quite likely what he's describing is Terry Hobbs leaving his house, ha- Terry Hobbs coming over to his house after some initial searching including stopping by Moore again having interaction with Moore coming by uh, Jacoby's house probably between 530 and 6 and staying and playing for what 30 minutes 40 45 an hour who knows but playing playing for a while going out and searching coming back Picking up Jacoby again, driving around for ten or fifteen minutes, with some, uh, assumingly some more time spent in transit and so forth. I mean, it would be for Hobbs to get from get from Jacoby's house back to Robin Hood Hills. It takes a few minutes. Uh, not long, but a, two minutes maybe. Uh, assuming you're assuming you're you know moving along at it doesn't take long, but it, it takes a little while. And then uh, and then Hobbes coming back, picking up Jacoby again, and apparently driving around for quite a while, like two or three trips, uh, a lot of the same territory they've been before, stopping and talking to children. And you're talking about quite a bit of time eating up. And then Jaco- uh, and then Hobbes dropping Jacoby off as it's getting dark. Well, he says it's getting dark, we don't really know how dark that is. Was it before he before Hobbes went over and interacted with because the, the nobody talks about Jacoby being over at that at, at the the Moore house and the Hob uh, buyer's house at, at 8 815 so we know he Jacoby wasn't with him then and then we know that there was some searching going on some interaction between buyers and Hobbes between around that time that they Made some even a preliminary for, foray into the woods. that came back. Uh, Hob said he was going to search further into the woods. He came back. After a bit, we know he was at home at 8:30. We know he picked up Amanda. I mean, uh, picked up uh, Pam at, at, a little bit after nine at Catfish Island. And so doesn't you know there's not a lot a lot of time there to be committing a a rather complicated murder and cover-up murders and cover-up now Jacoby on June 24th said uh, Pam came by the house looking for Stevie at some point and he drove her around and finally meeting up with other searchers including Dana Moore John Mark Byers, Hobbs, and uh, Jackie Hicks, Sr. Uh, Jacoby described in this June 24th deposition. He said he continued to search until nearly 3 a.m. He said he had not been searching either alone or with Hobbs in the woods near 6 or 6.30 p.m., only when it was already dark. And I'm going to go over this again. So according to Jacoby in the later statement, Hobbs left the Jacoby home around 6 or 6.30, returned after a bit, drove around with Jacoby for 10 or 15 minutes, dropped Jacoby off, returned again to the Jacoby home, rode around again until it was getting dark, which would have been closer to 8.30 or 9 before dropping Jacoby off for the final time. And, you know, that's what I wrote. I'm beginning, I'm rethinking this, is that there's no interaction with Jacoby and buyers are Dana Moore which indicates that that was a separate trip for Hobbs. Now, it's possible that it's possible it's, it's not possible for Hobbs to have been home at 8:30 have this fairly long trip when it would already been close to dark. After 8:30 with Jacoby, where they drove around two or three times, talked to children, etc., and then got and then him him come back home, and then uh, him being him going to pick up Pam. There's not really enough time for that. The second statement, although inexact on times, left enough time for multiple murders in the woods, followed by a meticulous cleanup. The statement from Hobbs and Jacoby, taken 14 years after the murders, with both uncertain about times, the sequence of events and other details didn't offer as clear an alibi as the buyer's timeline. They did indicate, between hanging out with Jacoby, looking for Stevie, conferring with other parents and police, that Hobbs did not have time to commit the crimes. Critics of the timelines offered by Hobbes and Jacobi focus on the differences in stories, claiming that Hobbes, in particular, should remember times in the exact sequence of events because of the significance of his stepson's killing. Uh, that's an unreasonable argument, giving the selectiveness of memory even for once in a lifetime events. And I'm going to add to that that there was a huge amount of stress that was beginning to build up. Not at first, I think hobbs sitting there playing guitar with jacoby thought well the boy's gonna be home before too long you know boys do what boys do they wander off uh he's gonna get in tr- he is gonna get in trouble when he gets home he was supposed to be home at 4:30, and he wasn't home but i don't think he was that concerned about it at that point he certainly didn't seem to be particularly agitated to Jacoby. I mean, he didn't seem agitated at all to Jacoby about it. And honestly, his whole attitude to, about it, according to Jacoby, seemed to be pretty casual, though he was diligent. He didn't sit there playing guitar till nine o'clock at night. He He played guitar for a little while and then, or maybe even a fairly long time, and then went out and looked again for Stevie. And after uh, that this initial guitar playing session, his, his efforts seemed to, his, his, by all accounts, his efforts were focused on finding Stevie. My point being with all this is that it's, that's very, very stressful, and it was getting more stressful. And the more stress you have, the worse your memory is. And then there, let's not forget the subsequent events, the thing, the, the discovery the next day of the, their, his his uh, stepson's body, and uh, his his wife's grief, and her level of grief, which was enormous, and all then all the things that have happened since. There's been a it's been it was all a very stressful event and it's going to affect your memory. You're not gonna come up with a, with the best of stories, particularly 14 years later, about about those events. What you hope for is some dispassionate people who are observing, who can give a better account. And Jacoby would seem to be that person, but he's, he's extremely nervous, and he's as I think we've illustrated, he's inexact and inconsistent. And I will... Seed the point to anybody that Hobbes has less of an alibi, as I made the point here, this is probably the third time I'm making this point, but Hobbes has less of an alibi <coughs> than John Mark Byers. By the way, the fact that Byers had this really good alibi didn't stop uh, Marl Everett for writing a whole book, smearing the guy didn't stop Berlinger and Sanofsky from putting out a whole movie making him look like a crazed nut because they didn't care about the facts of the case all they cared about and Berlinger and Sanofsky all they cared about was putting on a good show entertaining the masses with this rube as they perceived it who's I'm not saying he's a high-level sophisticate but he's not stupid and uh, he's not particularly crazy either. He's got, I'm sure he's got some personality problems, but you know, again, don't we all? And how, I don't know how any of us would react to the situation that Byers was in. Byers had quite very questionable judgment his whole life, apparently, based on his own accounts. But uh, so do a lot of other people. I've got some questions about my judgments on some things in the past, and I think probably you do too. Um, anyway, in his statement of June 21st, Hobbs said, Pam came from out from her workplace around 9 or 9.30 with her usual treats. And he's very, inexac- he's very inexact about times that are actually well marked. Uh, a piece of candy each for Amanda and Stevie. I said, Pam, we haven't found him yet, and she says he's dead. I said, Pam, don't say that. Don't even think that. I was getting nervous a little bit before I could come up because it was starting to get dark. Hobbs could not remember. It was after nine. It was almost certainly dark at that point. Hobbs could not remember if they first went home or began searching in Robin Hood Hills. He had not been aware of the woods until neighbors described seeing the boys entering there. He said it looked like, quote, the jungle. I couldn't see eight-year-old boys hanging around, unquote. He said he entered the woods with Officer Meek, exiting quickly because Robin Hood was hot, muggy, and full of mosquitoes. And he said he'd gone into the woods earlier around 6 or 6.30 with Jacoby, and that did not agree with either his own statements or with Jacoby's earlier statements. And this is one thing that a lot of a lot of the uh, uh, Hobbes haters focus on is this statement here that he went into the woods around six or six thirty, and he wasn't sure how long he'd been in the woods then. Uh, Hobbs said, I don't know because we would drive around looking and then go down the service road looking and stuff in there and walk out in there from both sides. Hobbs said he followed leads about possible sightings and Hobbs said he saw Mark and Melissa Byers riding around. Hobbs was unclear about times on most of the night. So he just wasn't sure how long he'd been in the woods then. Uh, they said he'd gone in with Jacoby. Was he remembering going in later that evening? It's it's just hard to know. If he went in at 6 or 6.30, the only way that makes any sense it, with Jacoby, uh, you would have to think, well, well, yeah, they went in there and they just... Does not make any sense for Jacoby to go in the woods with Hobbs and then they... Participate in this triple killing and then leave and then come up with this this, this come up with uh, a story. For one thing, nobody it's not an alibi that anybody was checking out at the time. They weren't suspects. And then 14 years later, they don't have a solid alibi. Uh, Ruff makes a big deal about Hobbs contacting Jacoby, warning him not to talk to people like Ruff, which is really a good idea. And not to talk to investigators, which is really a good idea unless you've got something helpful. Because the investigators were not in there trying to resolve who the who actually killed uh, the boys. Because we know who killed the boys. Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Muskelly Jr. The, 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 the investigators were in there stirring up trouble and looking for an alternative suspect. Looking for discrepancies in stories such as... Uh, Hobbs saying he showed up in the woods around six or six thirty with Jacoby. You know, I, it's quite possible. I mean, he was riding around in that neighborhood. We know he was riding by the apartments, which are right next to, right next to the the dead end where um, you go and cross the cross over to the creek. Now, <coughs> did he get out of his car and go? Look down into the creek. We don't even really, when he says he goes into the woods, we're not, we don't know that he, that would he cross that pipeline and go across? He doesn't, according to him, he doesn't see eight-year-old boys going in there. Um, and it does raise a question, doesn't it, of why would he cross a pipeline and go in there on just the off chance the boys would be on the other side? Uh, retrospect, it would have been a good thing that he had, if he caught, if he somehow been able to find them and stop what happened. But if, if indeed that was the case at six or six thirty, the boys weren't even in the woods at six; they were barely in the woods at six thirty. Anyway, Hobbs was unclear about times on most of the night. David was still with me, and then Pam got with me, but Pam was also with her mom and dad that night. Hobbs said he was in the company of Jacoby for much of the night. He's not saying he was with Jacoby all night. And if you listen to Jacoby's statements, Hobbes was with Jacoby for much of the night. He's not lying, and their stories don't contradict each other. But when you listen to some goofball like Bob Ruff who twists things around, it becomes, you know, everything becomes a lie. Because it serves his purpose, which is to get an audience. He doesn't. He does not care about anything here except getting an audience, selling some more ads, building another, uh, getting you know, paying his bill on his pool or whatever the heck's going on there. Hobbs said he and Pam went home at some point to change clothes, with. Pam wanted to get out of her work uniform. They put on mosquito repellent. This agrees with Pam, by the way. They returned to Robin Hood Hills all night long. Hobbs said that by daylight, Pam was accusing Steve Branch Sr. of having something to do with the appearance. Quote, she thought he might kidnap Steve. Uh, Now Branch, who arrived that morning, Morning to help in the search has never been a suspect and apparently there was a lot of bl- bad blood between um the hicks family pam's family and steve branch and guess what there's bad blood between steve uh, uh terry hobbs and the hicks family in fact there seems to be a lot of bad blood that runs in that direction Uh, Hobbs recalled seeing a black bum walking down 7th Street near Catfish Island. Quote, and he's wet and terrible looking, but he walks all on the railroad tracks and starts going west. Hobbs particularly remembered the bum because he's coming from that area. And if you're a Bojangles fan, then maybe you figured that Hobbs saw Mr. Bojangles leaving the scene of the crime again. Nobody else saw this black bomb leaving the area. Uh, did Hobbs, Is Hobbs lying about that? Number one, it doesn't. <laughs> I don't, you know. It's not as if he believes the black bomb killed the boys. He, he has always stated that the three men convicted killed the boys. He's not trying to throw suspicion on anybody else. It's just one of those things that he says he remembers. And maybe he actually saw a black guy, a black bum, leaving the area. There were some black bums hanging around West Memphis. If you don't believe me, go to West Memphis and drive around for a little bit. Uh, He and Pam went to Weaver Elementary that morning to see if the boys showed up for school and then continued riding around and walking through Robin Hood. Quote, me and Pam is riding around to get something to eat and we couldn't eat. And I go somewhere and we heard somebody say they found three boys and they tell us it's on that road by the apartments over there. And so we fly back over there. We get back over there, see the crime scene tape right there. And we don't know what's going on, but there's a lot of people there. We park our vehicle, get out. We start running up to the tape. Pam faints and I help her get back to the car. And I go up to the crime scene tape. I get there, Gary Gitchell's standing there, ask him if... I says, have you found? I didn't know Gary, and I asked him, have y'all f- have y'all, what you find? He said, three boys. He said, I think it's a homicide, or it looked like a homicide, or something like that. I asked him, what? He said, it looked like they'd been murdered. And I just fall on my knees and start crying, and I look, and there's Pam. She's, try- she's there trying to get her woke up. Now, Hobbs's collapse and overwhelming shock and grief was captured on vid- video and was clearly authentic. I don't know why anybody can't see that. Hobbs described the resulting pressures within the family. After this happened, for some reason, Pam and some of her family turn around start telling people Terry Hobbs killed them kids. I don't know why they done this. he told police that Pam's brother, Jackie Hicks Jr., threatened to kill him. Terry admitted that during a 1997 argument, he backhanded his wife across the mouth. They wrestled over keys, and he hit her with his elbow. Uh, Pam called her family. Terry called the police. During an ensuing altercation, uh, Habs, Hobbs claimed he shot her brother in he gave a warning shot, but it shot her brother, who was decided he was going to beat Terry's butt. Jackie Hicks, Jr. died in 2006 from a blood clot released during one of his many follow-up surgeries for the ab- abdominal wound. Uh, the Hicks family blames Terry for the death, at least most of them seem to. Uh, Pam told police on July 19, 2007, this is 14 years later that Terry did not get home from work until close to 4:30 or on May 5th. As for his mood, quote, just seemed to be normal every day. How he was, he wasn't in a bad mood or he wasn't real, real cheerful. He just Terry. Again, you know, she doesn't just much like Jacoby. He does. He they don't describe somebody who's agitated or angry or over the top and she says seemed to be normal every day how he was it doesn't describe somebody who's routinely emotionally agitated in other words he's a low-key guy she had to be at work at 5 so they left a little after four forty-five to see if Stevie was at the more home when Terry came to pick her up he, he went straight to the phones while she took two pieces of candy to the car and I know I'm being re- repetitious, but this is Pam's version of this. Upon le- learning from Amanda that Stevie was missing, quote, I knew something was terribly, terribly wrong, that at 9.30 that he still couldn't be found. So my first instinct and my first thought is he's dead. Terry called the police from the restaurant. By the time the officer arrived, Pam had formulated the belief that Steve's Branch Sr. may have kidnapped their son. She then called her family and Philip Palmer, son of the manager of Catfish Island, since she was training to do the night closing. Pam described Terry's account of that evening. quote. He said that uh, when he got back home and he was fixing to get out and walk the neighborhood, him and Amanda, and he said Dana Moore come to the house, which again is consistent with what he t- said otherwise. So I'm going to say this is all around a little bit after 5, 5.30 maybe, that Dana came to our house and was looking for Michael. And he said that he told Dana that I'm looking for Stevie also, and I'm fixing to walk the neighborhood. So Terry pretty much told me that he walked the neighborhood, <coughs> and uh, he started looking into the wooded area, because I guess someone had said that's where saw the boys go with the last home so they were uh, kind of looking in the wooded area. Well, yeah. Did Hobbs go looking in the wooded area? That it, it doesn't seem he did it with Jacoby, but it seems like he might have done that. When you talk about the wooded area, you're talking about, it's, it's, there's two plots. There's one that's south of 10 Mile Bayou, one that's north you had to cross the pipe bridge the pipeline to get to the north part there's a, there's also a extensive area there was an extensive area on the south side where there was woods and other things going on and kids played that was also part of what they considered to be Robin Hood Hills and we don't know if Hobbs did anything more than step out uh um, Look around. Steps. Step lightly into the woods. Look around to see, you know, if he could see him or any, anywhere. It didn't do that, or you know, or if he went on an extensive, extensive search inside the woods north of Ten Mile Bayou. It's unclear, but if he went in at six or six thirty, he would have either found uh, the three killers in there drinking beer or he sick by 6:30 he might have found the boys in there. But there's really no indication that he went that far into the woods. To focus on that again is it's a red herring is what it is. Uh, and Robin Hood Hills was their destination quote as soon as uh, we got off work and there were several people there. I was still in my uniform too and there were several people there and a lady told me, she said, I'll stay here and watch Amanda if you want to walk through. And we started walking through this wooded area and the fear was really on me hot and heavy because how all the woods and stuff was growing up. And I said, God, son, surely you're not out here. I started calling, I started yelling Steve's name, Steve, son, are you here? Son, are you here? Son, you're not in trouble if you're here. Just come out then Mark and the rest of them start hollering Michael's name, Chris's name, and stuff like that. And she said 10 to 15 people were involved in the hunt, many unknown to her, quote, just neighborhood people. Like Terry, she had no prior knowledge of the woods. She said Terry took her home and left with, without telling her where he was going. He left about 10.30 or 10.45 and returned about 11.30. She went to the Jacoby home, Jacoby accompanied her and Amanda back to their house, by which time Terry had returned. Terry and Jacoby left together to search. (coughs) Terry returned again and left with Jacoby and Hicks to search again. Her account of the rest of the evening and the events of the next day was largely in accord with Terry's. She said she was extremely angry with Terry for five or six years for not notifying her sooner about Stevie being missing. Much of the material in her 2007 statement was repeated in declarations on May 20th, 2009 in the Hobbs versus Natalie Maines Pastar libel suit. Pam has stated that she believes it was possible Terry was involved in the murders, but much of her belief appears based on personal grievances with her ex-husband. She has doubts and questions. Generally, she has fallen short of outright accusing Terry. Pam has focused over the years on a pocket knife she found in Terry's possession that she said was Stevie's and she's convinced that Stevie would have had him on, had it on him that day and there was no possible way that that knife could have ended up in Terry's hands when Stevie had it that day Uh, she can't put her get her mind around how that could possibly happen for almost anybody else the explanation is pretty simple and Terry Terry Hobbs says he just took the knife away from the boy to me that's the thing that makes the most sense Stevie didn't have that knife that day she has no proof that he, he had that knife that day Eight-year-old boys used to be able to carry knives back in the good old days. Uh, Sometimes they got in trouble with them. I got into some trouble with a knife. I had mine taken away when I was probably a little older than that. When I started cutting on some trees and things I wasn't supposed to be cutting on. But, um, you know, she... My father wasn't Terry Hobbs either, but my father was... a. Well, I don't. I say, My father was a very good guy. I'm not going to say anything about Terry Hobbs. Bad about Terry Hobbs, uh, but um, the point being is that that's, that is the even thinner. That's the thinnest of reasons to be suspecting Terry Hobbs is this pocket knife business. But you know, despite her quotes, doubts, and questions. Uh, she generally has fallen short of outright accusing Terry. She's sort of floating it out there. Um, maybe he, maybe there's something there she doesn't know about. Maybe she, you know, it's, it's prolongs the agony. It really makes things worse for her. I would suggest that things were better for her when she knew who the, she actually knew who the killers were, and could make peace with that. I don't know how she would make peace with subsequent events if she actually accepted that again after she's hugged them for public consumption on a number of occasions. But that's really her problem. I I sympathize a great deal with her without fully understanding how she feels. You know, and meanwhile, in an ironic twist, uh, John Mark Byers, who's no doubt relieved to have someone else be the alternative suspect. Let's be clear, he was an alternative suspect for the release of the movie for 10 or 11 years. He was the one that everybody was, that was made to look guilty and particularly when he, uh, Paradise Lost 2 was released. He was in prison. Uh, I'm sure that was a real low point for him. You know, his wife's dead. He's in prison. Paradise Lost 2 comes out. And he's made to look like an insane killer. Uh, I think I would be really happy if the fingers were pointing to somebody else, particularly when it involves the death of my son. But buyers. Uh, who really hated the fact that he was, had fingers pointed to him on the, base, the flimsiest of evidence, has had no problems with loudly proclaiming that the real killer is Terry Hobbs. With all due respect, Mr. Byers, you're simply wrong about that. And, you know, on some level, you know it. I don't what John Douglas did a number on Pam Hobbs and John Douglas did a number on John Mark Byers and somehow did his FBI magic and convinced them that uh, the the based on faulty information we can show where John Douglas simply doesn't under, doesn't didn't bother even checking out to see what the record of violence was for these three killers cuz he says they don't have any well, they do. It's easily verified. He didn't bother doing his homework on this, but he was happy to pick up the check for it. And that's the bottom line. We have people who have money invested, money and uh, social standing invested in this. Berlinger, Sanofsky's dead, John, John Douglas, Marl Leverett. Uh, if you want to look at vultures in the case, Bob Ruff, Look, at, look to those people. Anyway, thank you. Stay well. I went to the grocery store today for the first time in three weeks. and got tired. I liked Instacart in some ways, but it was because I had some things I really wanted and I couldn't quite get them to get it right. And two One of them was really great, and the other two deliveries I had were just sort of, yeah, it was a lot of trouble for what it was should have been a lot simpler it still wasn't bad but I decided I would go myself wear a face mask or gloves kept six feet away and I won't go back again for another couple of weeks and any coughing you hear is just irritable throat that's all it is anyway I'm going to sign off this has been a long episode uh, much, it's actually given me much to think about. I wish the Hobbs timeline were clearer than it is, but it's not. However, it's pretty clear if you look at all the interactions he had with Dana Moore, with David Jacoby, with John Mark Byers, with Regina Meek, with uh, John Moore, that he didn't have time to commit these murders. And he didn't have a motive there's no good reason why he would do this and not that there was any good reason for anybody to do it while there was a grand reason Damien Eccles explained what his grand reasons were he mentioned Satanism he mentioned thrill kill and strangely enough he mentioned revenge and I, to go beyond that, I I don't think he was, I'm not sure that he was lying, but I'm not really sure exactly what the motive, what was the impetus for that revenge aspect of it, if indeed he was, or he simply may have been throwing the police a curveball. He's playing his little trickster game. Anyway, that's enough for me. I talked too long. Thanks again.